was no stranger to trouble, and as he felt called to go to Jerusalem, everybody told him there was going to be trouble. Let's see what happened. We have been with Paul and Luke and their companions on Paul's third missionary journey. Most recently, we saw Paul in Greece. Um, We saw that in Troas, we saw the passage where Paul is preaching, and a guy named Eutychus falls out of a window and dies because he fell asleep while Paul is preaching. Let that be a lesson to you. Um, The Lord raised him from the dead. I do not promise that for you if you fall asleep. So... um, But he raised them up, and then we had Paul um, in a place called Miletus, and he called the Ephesian elders to meet with him um, and and kind of said farewell to them. And this is one of the things that he said to them as he was meeting with the elders. This is from Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. It says, And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, we know this. We know that Paul has been called by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, okay? We also know that he's determined to do that, even though he's being told over and over again that chains and tribulation, trouble, await him in Jerusalem. He's being told this, yet we know he's determined to do this. And so we already know that Paul's had a number of encounters with difficulty, right? With trouble, with pain. Um, And so it looks like he's in store, if these prophecies are to be true, which they are, uh, for some more trouble. And so we're going we're gonna to read about that. And nevertheless, even though he knows this is going to happen, here we have Paul at the beginning of chapter 21 with his companions headed toward Jerusalem and the trouble that may await. Let's read the first few verses here in chapter 21. So it says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to cause the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And finding this ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. We had sighted Cyprus. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. All right, we have a map here so you can take a look at kind of where we are and where we've been going. Some of you like the map, some of you don't. Um, it doesn't matter. I'm going to show it to you anyway. So right about the middle of the map, you can see Miletus, where Paul met with the Ephesian elders. And then you can see that from there... He's headed uh, down and across uh, through Kos and Patera and so on, and they pass that island that you see on the left of them is Cyprus, and they head over to Tyre. That's where they end up at. Now, I always find it interesting how excessively detailed Luke is in his descriptions of their travels and so on. He's naming every single place that they went, and we have to ask ourselves, Why? Why does he do that? And we've talked about this before. This account is excessively detailed because it's historical. It's historical. That's why it's specific. One of the things that's important is to remember that these facts, remember Acts is about facts, that these facts are included so that we never kind of float into this place where we think of what's happening here as some sort of legend, That's some sort of religious story that's not really real. Luke constantly is including all this detail, and we, as a result of that, can't be brought into this idea that we're reading about King Arthur or some other legendary character, okay, that these apostles or that Jesus, that these are just stories. These are, in fact, very specific accounts. Luke is considered to be a very um, adept historian, even by people to this day. 
Okay, and so he's including all this stuff. And of course, in this situation, Luke's with them. He's using the word we. And so he certainly would have known what happened. And he wrote all these things down because that's what happened. And he wants us to know it, not because it's necessarily super important spiritually which direction they took to get to Tyre, but because it's important that we know that the facts are facts and that you can go check those out and see that is actually the path you would have taken to do that and so on. So there we have that. Let's look at the next verse, verse 4. It says, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And so they get to Tyre and they find disciples. Where did these disciples come from? Well, you may remember that back uh, some decades ago at this point, uh, Stephen, which is one of the deacons, was martyred, okay? And what we had is a lot of persecution that came on the church. And the, and the church, the believers from Jerusalem, started spreading out all over the place, okay? From Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to all these places, which is exactly what Jesus had told them they were to do, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them in power, that they were going to be witnesses of him you know, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so that's what had happened. They'd spread out. And so in Tyre, in this area, apparently there was a church there. There were brothers there. So when they landed there, they were able to connect with these believers, with these Christians, and Paul was there. Now it says, they told him in the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. But we know that Paul was called to go to Jerusalem. Uh, Is this a contradiction? No, the Spirit was not contradicting. This, I think, is just one of the uh, instances which we see many of where when they realize what's going to happen, where the, where the Holy Spirit tells them, this is what's going to happen to Paul, people are saying, don't go do that. That's bad. We don't want you to get hurt. We don't want you to be in chains. We don't want you to go through uh, tribulation. So once again, we have people saying, Paul, don't, don't go up there. It's going to be bad for you. Okay? Um, but Paul, who continues to hear this from everybody, does not stop his his uh, determination to go to Jerusalem. And so let's look in verses 5 through 8. It says, When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children. And once again, the church is these families together. um, Till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. All right. Now, for those of you who have been patient, we got to meet Philip again. Some of you may remember that Philip was a deacon, one of the original seven deacons, that he had gone to Samaria and brought the gospel there and was preaching there, and a lot of people in Samaria got saved. And then he was the same guy who met the Ethiopian eunuch who the Lord brought to himself through the ministry of Philip there in the chariot, maybe he ran up beside it. Um, and then we read this in chapter 8 of Acts. It said, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, which is where we are now, which is where we find Philip the deacon again. All these years later, here he is in Caesarea. And I told you, Lord willing, that we would see him again. And here we are. We run into Philip again. We see, again, the connection. We sort of bookend. Here's Philip. We saw his ministry earlier. We know he was in Caesarea. We actually catch up with him all these years later. Um, And so we know one thing. Luke met Philip, right? So those earlier stories, maybe Luke was able to get some eyewitness testimony from Philip about what happened there that added to what the Holy Spirit did with Luke in writing this book. So here we go. Verses 9 through 11, it says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus 
came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. All right. Couple of things here. First of all, we see that Philip's got these four daughters that they're that they're prophets that they prophesy. They have the gift of prophecy, and once again, we see as we see over and over and over again that these first-century Christ followers have this incredible value for women and their giftings and their place in the church. And of course, these four daughters would have been very important to the church and the folks there in Caesarea. Which, as we've talked about before, this is not the normal way that first-century people talked about women. They did not hold them in high esteem, but the church always does. And so mentions these daughters, mentions their gifting. No doubt these, these daughters were an important part of what was going on in the church there. And then we meet Agabus again. We've met Agabus also before. Back in chapter 11, we studied about Agabus. He had made a prophecy about this uh, famine that was going to happen. And that famine in, ended up happening in the time of Claudius Caesar. And so we know that Agabus not only is a prophet, but he's a prophet that knows what he's doing. Okay, that he really is hearing from the Lord, and he comes in, takes Paul's belt, um, and binds himself up with it, and tells him, this is what's going to happen to you. The person who owns this belt, is gonna, this is what's going to happen to them when they go to Jerusalem. You're going to get bound up. Um, the Jews are going to come after you, and you're going to get turned over to the Gentiles. Pretty dramatic prophecy or way of prophesying to actually take this guy's belt off and go through uh, that to tell Paul about the trouble that he's going to go through in Jerusalem. I see as these people are telling him, we already know lots of people have told him what's going to happen, and this is kind of the culmination, the most dramatic one. Um, Agabus coming and confirming, hey, bad stuff is going to go down for you. So let's see how Paul's friends react to this, verses 12 through 14. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? You're breaking my heart, right? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Now, um, this is sort of the last stand of Paul's friends. It's not the first time that people have said to Paul, don't go. Don't go. Bad things await you. And here they are pleading with him not to go. But if you remember from chapter 20, he said, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Okay? Bound in the spirit. I got to go. The Spirit's told me to, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. This was before. Paul's known about this. He already knows that trouble is going to happen in Jerusalem. He's been, his, his face has been set towards it. He's been planning to go the whole time. Okay? He was not going to turn back. It was the Spirit who was compelling him to go. The Spirit was saying, you've got to go do this. And these folks that were traveling with him knew this. They knew that Paul felt compelled to go. And yet, here they are, breaking his heart. And of course, Paul loves his friends, right? And so when they're crying and pleading with him, which is, I assume, what's going on here, Paul, please don't go. Don't go. I'm sure it really was breaking his heart. You know, Paul would have had a very tender heart towards his friends. We can tell by how many people he mentions in the Scripture how close his friendships are. We can tell by the fact that what we just read about these families coming with him, who, assumedly, he just met entire, right? And, and yet the children, the wives, the husbands are all coming with him to pray with him as he leaves. This guy leaves a mark on people because he's so loving. And so as he loves these friends of his and they're sitting here pleading with him, he's saying, stop it. Stop. You're breaking my heart. I got to go do this. 
I've got to go do this, and I'm not going to stay away from it because of fear. I'm willing to do what I need to do to preach the gospel, okay? He has to go. And instead of supporting him in this, which they know he has to do, they're trying to persuade him to stop. Now, um, this is kind of frustrating if you've ever been in this situation. We love our friends and our families, right? But sometimes they can let their concern for us cause them to try to persuade us to do things that seem right and wise to them, but are not the things that the Lord has called us to do, okay? When my wife and I uh, left, we lived here, um, and I was practicing law here, and we were called to go to Tennessee. Our families were not particularly excited or happy about us leaving, okay? Uh, Basically, they didn't want to lose Tiffany, and they didn't want to lose their grandkids. I don't think they probably care too much about me leaving, Um, but but they didn't want to lose those people, and I don't blame them. Their first reaction was not, yay, you're going to go 2,500 miles away and take my grandkids, okay? That was not the way that they felt about it. But once they realized that this was a call from the Lord and that we were determined to do what the Lord had called us to do, they supported us, as Paul's friends do here eventually, right? Um, Here's what I would say. There's our wisdom, okay? And, and if we're in Scripture and we're in the Spirit and we're whatever, we're going to grow and grow and grow in wisdom, and we're going to have wisdom. Okay, so there's our wisdom, and it can be very good. But then there are God's plans. And the two things, your wisdom and God's plans, are not always going to be the same. They're not always going to be the same. And so there are times when the Lord is going to ask us to do things that don't seem to make sense in our own wisdom. They don't necessarily seem wise at the time, but if the Lord calls us to go, calls us to do those things, we must go. So, for my family and Tiffany's family, when we had to go to Tennessee, you know, they had to come around to that. Now, they got us back some years later, so it's kind of like, be careful what you hope for, because now they have to deal with me. Um, I'm back in, in this area, and so, uh, but they did, you know, they, they just had to be patient for a little while. Um, but, you know, when we were in Tennessee, we felt called to come here and, and be part of this that we're all doing here, that you've all been called to also, we've all been called to together, uh, the people in Tennessee weren't particularly happy about that. Again, they didn't want to lose Tiffany and my kids, um, which again makes sense. I don't know if they cared about me leaving, but they weren't particularly happy about that, but the same sort of thing happened, okay? They eventually supported us when they realized it was of the Lord that we were called to do this thing. And so when you have believers who are close to you, brothers and sisters in Christ that are close to you, who are called to do something from the Lord, Be careful, be careful about trying to convince them not to do it, even if it doesn't seem wise to you, okay? The thing that they're about to do may be difficult. You may see that there's difficulties in that path, Um, especially if we have those of us who are close to us who are called to move away, right? Called to move somewhere far away, and we don't want them to go away, or called to do something dangerous, maybe to go to another country, whatever. We We see the danger, we see the difficulty, and there's wisdom in that. We see that it's going to be difficult, but if God has called them, He's called our brothers or our sisters to go do something. Our job is to support them, okay? Not to sit there and tell them how bad it's going to be. Not to sit there and say, this is going to be so bad for you, this is going to be so bad for you. When when God calls us to step out in faith, it generally is going to require a large amount of trust in him. And that's already hard to do. And usually if a brother or sister is called to do something, they're not unaware of the difficulties that might be involved in that. Be careful that you're not adding to the difficulty because you're walking in your wisdom, which isn't necessarily bad wisdom, but it's not what the Lord has called someone to do. See, if Paul had been convinced not to go to Jerusalem, we would have a very different next few chapters that we're going to read. 
And I think it was important to the Lord that things went the way that they, were, that they went here. Okay? He may have avoided some temporary pain, maybe, but we wouldn't have the next part of this, this thing where, that ends up getting Paul all the way to Rome, which is sort of the center of the world at that time and his influence that he had there. And so um, having said all of that about being careful, I do want to mention a few things. There is nothing wrong with helping a person to discover whether or not the call that they're saying they have is really of the Lord, okay? So when someone says, I feel called to the Lord to go do this thing, and you have this thing that's like, that doesn't seem wise, it is okay to say, can we talk about or walk through what that call looks like? You know, so we can walk through that in community, okay? So that we can sense whether it's a call from the Lord, maybe maybe it's not, or maybe it's not now, whatever. So here are a couple things to look for if a brother or sister in Christ is saying they have a call to go do something. This is, this is just some practical stuff for you. The first question I would ask is, is it biblical? Is the thing they've been called to do consistent with Scripture? Is it biblical? Okay. Maybe it involves difficulty, but if it's consistent with Scripture, then it, it may be okay. Um, so that's why, for instance, my call to be a lawyer was very questionable, right? Um, I'm not sure that it's biblical to be a lawyer, but that's a, come on, that's funny, guys. That's, that's all I've got for you today. Um, all right, I'll try harder. We've got a lot more here, so I'll, I'll do better. Um, for instance, somebody says, I feel called to leave my spouse because we fell out of love, and just coincidentally, I met this person online, and they're really my soulmate, and God would want me to be happy, right? God would call me to be happy. Um, no. <laughs> Wrong answer. Not biblical, not consistent with Scripture. You should talk your brother or sister in Christ out of that, okay? Because that's not biblical. That's not consistent with Scripture. So if that's their call, they're wrong about that. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, here on Contemplate. Next time, Pastor David will give us some more practical tips to consider if someone says they've been called by God to do something, and I hope you'll join us. Until then, if you find that this kind of no-nonsense Bible teaching is a blessing, it happens every Sunday here at Axe Church, and we'd love for you to join us. Easy directions and all the info you need are available anytime at axechurchnw.org or call us at 360-885-9000. Hope to see you this Sunday, and I hope you'll be right here for our next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.